We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Leeds and Wrexham and Pamela and Super League and Gold Cup and the 2030 World Cup and Moby Dick and much, much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light. David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Thursday morning, uh, February 9th, 2023? Doing well. Good to be here for the real State of the Union this week. Yes, right? We were, uh, you know, co-opt and uh, overshadowed earlier this week by uh, POTUS and, uh, you know, the uh, the State of the Union, which is, you know... Uh, by design and uh, in the Constitution and, and all that. So uh, I, I watched it. Did you watch it? I did, yeah. Yeah. What would you think? What do you give it? Grade. We know how much we love to give grades here. What do you give it? Well, we don't like to get into politics. Well, it's not politics. I mean, let's just say just in terms of the performance, because ultimately it is a performance. I thought uh, Joe Biden, he grew into it as the speech went on. <laughs> it's uh, always a little bit jarring how much he struggles uh, doesn't exactly have a way with no, words these days. No, so you don't say. Really? But okay. you, you sort of get used to it. Uh, I will say it was very testy. Uh, yeah. Heckling. I actually liked it. I liked it. Uh, it's, you know, reminiscent of, uh, right. you know, over there in England where they scream and yell and yeah, do and yeah. all that. We actually got to some some meat through that. But to your point, it's a, it's a pretty low bar relative to him uh, public speaking so that he got through it and, you know, evidently record number word count uh, over there. So, you know, I give him B. I think a solid B. For it. Uh, good to have you back in L.A. after Thank a br- brief sojourn to Vegas. Huh? Yeah, I went uh, in and out to Vegas. I, I, I totally did Vegas wrong in that, uh, you know, I should have uh, stayed the night. But the reason why we're recording on a Thursday morning here um, is because I had to go and do an, uh, an appearance over in, um, in Vegas. You know, they have these big conventions. So I went and did an appearance. They had uh, 7-Eleven has this huge convention where they bring in all of their vendors. So everybody that you actually see selling stuff or all the stuff that you see when you go into a 7-Eleven and all of their sister stores that they have under their 7-Eleven umbrella, all of the different stuff that you that you can get into 7-Eleven, they bring everybody into this convention. And so, you know, you'll go around and over here is, you know, the 
the alcohol that you can buy or the Slim Jims or the condoms or whatever it ends up being that uh, that you can buy in a 7-Eleven, it's there. And it's all designed because they, they bring in all of the owners of all the 7-Elevens all over the place. And they say, you need to have this in your store. And so there's samples all over the place. Um, and I came in for uh, Truly. Uh, you know, uh, have you ever had Truly? It's a, uh, a drink. It's, no. really good. it's really good. You should try it. Um, and yes, uh, that is that is they paid me to do that. So you you can drink it or not. It doesn't matter uh, you know, to me. I, but that's why I was there. And it was really fun. In and out uh, to Vegas at the MGM into their uh, convention center. And uh, now I'm back. So uh, did you watch anything or read anything or what's going on with you? I've gotten a lot of calls and uh, texts about my reading habits now because I'm talking about, you know, going back into the classics. Uh, didn't watch or read anything of note. Um, I did play pickleball for the first time in my life yesterday. Are you familiar with this uh, pickleball? Yeah, yeah, it's a craze, yeah. if you will. Uh, Maybe a fad. I don't know. We'll re- see. Reminiscent of chess during the Bobby Fischer days. Right. Yes. Did you enjoy it? I did, yeah. Right, it's, not, it's fun, right? I went with my buddy Jordan, the same guy who I walked to downtown LA with. Yep. Okay. And he introduced me to it. Uh, he's an experienced player, so he showed me the ropes. A lot of rules. You can't step in the kitchen. Right, yeah. There's, there's a lot of things. But but it's very popular. Very popular, and it's a nice little workout, so it, it will supplement my... Yeah, I mean, is it, though? It's it, Obviously, there's a little muscle confusion if you've never played it before, but the just the space lends itself to doing less. Sure. But you enjoyed it. I did. Will you play again, you think? I will. Oh, good. Look at you, a pickleball fan now. I know there's a lot of people out there that are in the pickleball thing right now. Whether they want to be or not is a different story, but a lot of people are uh, playing it right now. My my wife yesterday said, don't we have pickleball rackets or something like that? Because she was looking to play. And I think MLS at one point sent around pickleball, or might have been the Galaxy. I can't remember who it was, but I, I feel like we have pickleball rackets uh, somewhere. Did you read anything or watch anything? No, as I mentioned last time, I, I purchased those two books uh, in the Middle East, Mossad and the one on Afghanistan. I'm going to start those soon, but I haven't yet. Now, uh, you are, as we know, a, 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 um, a savant when it comes to the game of soccer. Are you becoming now a savant when it comes to the Middle East and all that? Uh, should I be not concerned because there's a wonderful and rich history over there, but this is a, a deep dive and it continues to get deeper and deeper over there when it comes to uh, what you're reading. It is my area of focus at the moment. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. I, you know, I mentioned going back and uh, uh, reading some of the classics. So now I am knee deep in uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and, uh, and Moby Dick. So those are the two ones that are doing right now. I did have a back and forth uh, with a friend of mine who uh, fell on your side when it came to, you mentioned you, you, you went to Barnes and Noble and this question about whether books on tape you know, the audio, listening to an audio of a book is the same as actually reading the book. Now, the, the physical action we know is not the same, but it was a little wishy-washy, but ultimately I think he sided with you in that you'll, you'll let it go and you'll let it pass, okay? It's not quite the same, but it still counts as reading a book. And so I've started uh, both, both of those uh, and uh, we'll see when those, uh, when those get done. Uh, from a watching perspective, have you seen the new uh, Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix? I have not. Uh, you know who Pamela, Pamela Anderson is? I do. Okay. Uh, for, I don't know, is there anybody out there that doesn't know who Pamela Anderson is? I've seen her having sex. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, drink. Uh, if you were, uh, you know, waiting for Mossy to, you know, tell it, tell us who uh, he's seen having sex with. Um, yeah, so it's it's good. I think it is 
worth worth your while and not just like the titillating part of it right you know the 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 uh the nakedness they kind of deal with that pretty pretty early um there is a little bit of of a weirdness through it that you know she at times is really kind of you know she she's angry and miffed that people when she's being interviewed or when she is coming in contact with people uh are bringing up or want to talk or ask about you know her sexuality or you know the things that she has done and her body let's be honest and i i think that her the lack of self-awareness in terms of the way that she presented herself from the very beginning I, that one, I, I don't, I don't buy there. I think it's completely, uh, legitimate for Pamela Anderson. When you're talking to Pamela Anderson to be asking those, uh, those types of questions and it doesn't diminish or, or, uh, or ignore the fact that she can, that she's an actress, that she, that she acts and that she has incredible talent. And when you watch this documentary, you find out very quickly, especially as you get further along that she's much more talented than, the portrayal of her, which she had every part in playing from the very start, leads you to leads you to believe. But it grew on me. So this is one that grew on me. So as the documentary continued on, I got a much greater perspective and ultimately a much greater respect for her as, you know, as a mother, as, uh, you know, as an actress uh, and doing all of these different things. And it, you know, kind of ends with her being on Broadway and uh, doing some uh, doing some different things. But Man, what a life. Are you ready to light this candle? Let's light this candle, my <laughs> friend. All right. All right. All right. Listen, you know, you can fast forward it if you want. If you didn't listen to it, fine. Here we are. We're lighting the candle here. All right. Uh, where should we start, Mossy? Should we go right to our uh, our friend Leeds that seem to lead each and every show nowadays? Yeah, we begin with Leeds United. Their first match after sacking Jesse Marsh was a midweek Premier League clash at Old Trafford. They had a trio of caretaker managers, Chris Armas among them. They jumped out to a 2-0 lead, Nyonto in the first minute, and then a Varane own goal early in the second half. Manchester United rallied with goals from Rashford and Sancho. It finished 2-2. I was wondering how U.S. fans would react here because a European club fires an American manager. You think there might be a sentiment of to hell with them, but it feels like the presence of these American players makes it where U.S. fans were still all in on leads. Yeah, I mean, I was all in on Leeds. I was rushing around in Vegas at the appearance, watching it, watching it on phones, watching it on iPads because it it meant something to me. And even you know, at, at times I, I, uh, I was there to sign autographs and take pictures and stuff. And there were there were people in line that were yelling out what was happening and obviously that going back and forth. So yeah, it was still relevant to me. I don't know about how many people out there. To your point, went off the leads boil when Jesse Marsh got fired. But also to your point, does that mean that uh, Chris Armas is undefeated leading an EPL team? I suppose. I don't know if he was officially their manager and all the team sheets. It was this Michael Scubala listed. So. Okay. All right. So he's still kind of an uh, assisted. Um, look uh, on this, on the surface, this is, this is a good result, right? And keep in mind that leads, Two games after they fired Jesse Marsh were away to Manchester United and now uh, home to Manchester United this uh, this weekend. Not easy by any stretch of the imagination, especially with what Manchester United is right now. But when they look back, uh, I thought they once again, you know, it's the same old story in that they played well. They created chances. They went up 
two nothing, maybe even should have been up three uh, three nothing ultimately. And they let Manchester United back into the game. And this is, as we said, a very different Manchester United now. And so that they were good and that they were able to get back in the game should not necessarily be a surprise. But if you had asked with or without Jesse Marsh, the folks at Leeds, would you take a point away at Manchester United? And you say, yeah, put that in your pocket. So ultimately, a good point, a good result, but you're left kind of wanting more from this Leeds team. And on the American front, Wesson McKinney made his first start, yep. played almost the entire match alongside Tyler Adams. Brendan Aronson came on in the second half. I will say, when I saw the Manchester United lineup, I did think they were ripe for the taking, specifically that central midfield partnership of Fred and Sabitzer. They are shorthanded there right now because of the suspension to Casemiro and injuries to Eriksen and McTominay. So that was kind of an odd pairing. It's really two eights. There's not a six there. So I know U.S. fans don't want to hear that. They want the story to be how great McKinney and Adams are. But I think it did set up nicely. No, I mean, I think U.S. fans, why are you doing that? Why are you dumping on U.S. fans? That's not true. I think U.S. fans, if you talked about the importance and the difference of a Casemiro versus a no Casemiro situation. I think that they would all understand how good he was. I mean, wasn't it you that when Casemiro made that move, you said you didn't like that move? And he's not only come in and I think played well, but established himself as vital to the success of Manchester United. And when they don't have Casemiro, which was the case the other day, to your point, they become very, very ripe for the picking, even with his crazy things that he just, the rush of blood to the head is just ridiculous sometimes with him. Yeah, that was another bad take by the soccer savant on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but I will say, McKinney, I thought, played very well. And I agree with the sentiment that he's made for the Premier League. They're going to love him mm-hmm. with the intensity and that bulldog attitude. So you can already see that in this match. He was getting involved in a lot of scuffles throughout the game. So I think he's going to be very successful there. Uh, do you think that they are buoyed from this result in that now they get to go back home and play them and they will be more confident going out? Or do you think they let one get away here and ultimately two games against Manchester United, if you come out of it with one point, eh, I mean, you'll take it, but still. No, I think they have a great chance to get something out of this Sunday game as well. Okay, all right. What else? Now, as Jesse Marsh departs the scene, there is another club in a top European league that suddenly has an American manager and American players. New Jersey native Pellegrino Matarazzo appointed at Hoffenheim. He replaces Andre Breitenreiter. Uh, Matarazzo was previously an assistant at Hoffenheim under Julian Nagelsmann. He coached in the Bundesliga with Stuttgart, was actually sacked earlier this season, but he gets another chance here. He inherits a Hoffenheim side that hasn't won a league game since October. They're battling relegation. They do have two Americans in John Brooks and Justin Che. So will Hoffenheim now be a club that you keep an eye on? No. This guy, Matarazzo, for whatever reason, is not caught on with U.S. fans. They don't really view him in the same vein as they do, a, you know, Bob Bradley or Jesse Marsh when they manage in Europe, you know? Yeah, and, you know, he obviously grew up in New Jersey, went to high school in New Jersey, went to Columbia, and you know, he is as American as anybody uh, in terms of his experience. Maybe it's different, and he took roads less traveled than traditional uh, roads traveled by either MLS players um, or American players, uh, or players uh, coming out of the coming out of the U.S. Um, I I don't think I don't think people look down on him. I just think that the pro his profile at times has not been enhanced and has not not, not been ignored, but just hasn't been as big as uh, as others. But by the way, Mossy, 
because you know when uh, when he took this job there was a whole contingent out there that said well you know the US national team job is there and why wouldn't he be a possible candidate i'm i'm not saying he shouldn't be a a, a possible candidate but did you know because in this day and age i mean the whole um you know the hand wringing out there and the pearl clutching when it comes to nepotism in at USF, uh, United States Soccer Federation, at, you know, just in soccer in general, you know, connections and relationships and history are found in the structure of absolutely every industry out there. And we, and we actually encourage uh, and we value connections uh, in, in business and ultimately soccer is, is a business. And I'm not saying, look, conflict of interest is, is not a good thing. It's, it's something to at least attempt to be avoided when you can. But, you know, knowledge and experience in the industry that often comes from those connections that we are talking about, that can be beneficial. Do you know who, uh, who uh, Matrazzo um, roomed with? I do not. You don't know this. Julian Nagelsmann. Okay. Oh, I thought we were talking in a U.S. soccer context. Sure, yeah, no, I know that him and well, Nagelsmann are close. That's but how my, got- my point is that you know, is that nepotism? Is that an old boys network? Is that a friend scratching another's back? You're damn right it is, okay? Because he benefited from that relationship ultimately and opportunities were afforded to him. And I don't begrudge him. Again, it goes back to what I said. These types of connections and these types of relationships are present all over, all over the world. Now, does that mean that he should be the national team coach? I have no problem if he is if he is on the list. Now he's taken this job and he's off to the races when it comes here and I hope that he does well and it should it should make Americans proud that an American is doing well in this type of situation and maybe it's worked to his benefit to kind of not completely disassociate but distance himself from the whole American thing. Um, and some of the baggage that that ultimately does bring. And, and to your point, when people talk about him, they don't necessarily talk about him always in, you know, the, the American sense of, of who he is. And maybe that works to his benefit at times, and maybe that is uh, to his detriment at times. But ultimately, this is an American who is doing well and coaching at, at the highest levels and getting multiple opportunities, and is obviously talented. So congratulations to him on finding, uh, uh, finding a job. However, it ultimately came, uh, ultimately came about. What else, Mossy? Uh, some news that could impact the likes of Wesson McKinney and Tyler Adams at the international level. We've talked about how the 2024 Copa America will take place in the United States and the U.S. will be involved. There's now a proposal for the 2025 Gold Cup to be an expanded 24-team tournament it would be 16 from CONCACAF and then two each from CONMEBOL, UEFA, Africa, and Asia. It would take place across the 16 World Cup host cities. So it would be a dry rehearsal similar to what the Confederations Cup used to be. Your thoughts on this? I mean, bigger is better, I guess. Not necessarily in all cases, but if you're going to get bigger, bring better quality. And I think that this absolutely does that. If you can, if you can hand pick it, if you will, making the Gold Cup bigger, but in doing so, bringing some of the best teams in the world and increasing, you know, what is the problem with CONCACAF? The problem with CONCACAF is the the 40 plus teams, the disparity between good and bad. It's a gulf when it comes to quality. And it's just the reality of the situation, some very small, some very, let's be honest, 
poor relative to other teams uh, in in terms of the uh, national teams, and it makes for oftentimes games with very little competition, especially for the big dogs in CONCACAF like the United States, Mexico, and Canada, and others. So this mitigates some of that and brings in better quality. And as, we, as we've talked about time and time again, especially leading up to 2026, the more quality games and the more quality competition that the U.S. can find and or create and manufacture is what we're talking about here, the better it is for the U.S. Now, if you're a CONCACAF organizer, what would be your dream field? I was thinking about right. this. Obviously, the two CONMEBOL would be Brazil and Argentina. Well, no, Venezuela and Bolivia. <laughs> um, the two UEFA, I would probably go with France and England as the tastiest teams to bring over. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. And, and I'm also you know, looking at it from a business perspective and looking at it from a popularity perspective and a cachet perspective. Well, look, these are, these are two wonderful teams. Yeah, I mean, they, they would attract the most amount. They bring stars. They bring known stars. And they are better quality competition than the U.S. Uh, would face against anybody from CONCACAF. Africa, for me, would probably be Morocco and Senegal. Mm, okay. All right. I'll go with that. And then Asia, maybe Japan and South Korea? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's interesting about this is I read an article in a Brazilian newspaper which said that um, FIFA are now planning to launch Johnny Infantino's expanded Club World Cup in 2025 as well. Um, nothing official yet, but right. the article stated that the next two editions, 23 and 24, would probably be under this current format, and then 2025 is when we would start this expanded Club World Cup. It would be held every four years. And ideally, Johnny Infantino wants to have it be 32 teams with 12 European clubs involved. Unclear how many spots each of the other regions would get. I know fans hear this stuff and they get excited, but I have to be that guy to bring up, how are we going to fit all this into a calendar? We'll figure it out. <laughs> we always figure. Well, hold on. You're saying the, 20, the 25 Club World Cup would be the one that gets expanded. Correct. But the 25, you're not saying that the 25 one is actually the 24 one that's happening in 25, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. It, it's gotten screwy because of the right, World exactly. Cup. So I think they do want to get it back to it being held in its proper calendar year. So, so 23 the, World Club World Cup is happening in 23. I think that's the goal. That's the goal is yeah. to happen by the end of this year. Correct. Okay. Even though we are, are in the midst of the 22 one right now. Yes. Okay. Got it. And that, the 23 one will also be the you know the 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 normal version the small version correct we have it and then the 24 one would be the same small version and then in 2025 it would happen in i don't know february or something like that uh, of 2025 but expanded but again can you have it during the european club season and expect these teams to play in it and bring their best play? i don't know how that's going to work calendar wise and then in the summer it's tough because you have international competitions such as this 2025 gold cup so it's tricky. It's money like, solves every, not everything, but money solves a lot of things. All right. And so if you make it worth people's while, all right, they will find a way to work it in. Uh, very quickly, the current edition of the Club World Cup has reached the final stage. It will be Real Madrid against Al Hilal. Uh, in the semis, Real Madrid disposed of Al Ali, the team that had eliminated Seattle, 4 1 final. In a game that was more competitive than the final score would indicate, I actually thought Al Ali gave a decent account of themselves. 
in the other semifinal, Alchilau stunned Brazilian giant Flamengo. Although I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because if you saw my tweet after the game, fourth time in the last seven editions of this competition that the South American club has lost in the semis, and yet they continue to receive a buy until the semis because this competition back in 2005 was built on the false premise that there are two big boys in the field every year when there's just mounting evidence that it's Europe and everybody else and South America belongs in the pile with everybody else. I know that upsets hipsters. There's nothing hipsters like more than to romanticize South American club football. They parachute in once or twice a year, right. put on a Copa Lib match at the Bombonera, tweet about how great this is, but take it from a South American wow. that watches this stuff regularly. Uh, South American club football is not in a good place right now, and this result was further evidence. Of that. Wow, Mossy, just, just kiboshing. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, if you do listen, subscribe, watch the State of the Union podcast, then you are educated because this is not the first time that you have told us this. You have been warning of this now for a number of years, and you have been giving people the truth when it comes to what uh, South American soccer is and, uh, and what it isn't. So ultimately, when we do have this next Club World Cup at the end of 23, knock on wood that it happens, a, a team like Al-Ali should definitely be given the benefit of the doubt and given that pathway right through. I mean, they're proving it right now. Oh, it's Al-Hilal of Saudi Arabia that is. Yeah, but, okay, yeah, okay, sorry. Oh, sorry, oh it's Al-Hilal. Al all right, so Al-Hilal and Al-Ali, all right? They are Al-Hilal, the rivals of the club Cristiano Ronaldo just signed for al right. there. got it. Got it. Well, who knows? Right. Maybe we'll see Cristiano at some point. Now, on the topic of new competitions being proposed and money talking, uh, the Super League is back. You don't uh, say. Yes. What a surprise. Uh, there's a new proposal on the table. Uh, this one would feature 60 to 80 teams, would have multiple divisions, no permanent members. You have to actually earn your way through your domestic league placement. Uh, they're selling this as a replacement for the Champions League. At least that's how I read it. And they're saying it would have better cost controls than what UEFA have now. They could actually rein in the PSGs in Manchester cities. So they think they've put something together that's more palatable, that addresses some of the concerns that people had with the previous proposal. Uh, what do you think? Could this gain some traction? Yeah, I, I, it's very confusing. Uh, and we don't want to bog down too much in it here, but... I don't understand how the cost restraints and the restrictions would actually be implemented. I mean, if they're not being implemented in the, the original traditional league that you're playing in, how do you put that genie back in the bottle for a different tournament? I mean, it's one thing, if you just make a, a roster restriction, you can only have a certain amount of players. That's, that's easy to do. And you can adjust for different tournaments with different regulations and rules. But... If this is all really about cost, then really the cost is relative for the most part in terms of what you are paying players and the exorbitant cost or the anti-business type of way that, that that's, uh, that's happening. And again, talk about disparity, what some can pay and what some can't pay and the lack of parity that creates. So if this is designed to create parity, that concept in and of itself is interesting to me because I think it can increase competition and make it quote unquote fairer. It can also be careful what you wish for because it can also make it less entertaining. So I don't know ultimately <laughs> how this, this gets done unless back to the point we made, if you, if, 
if you sell it as something that is going to enable you to sustain individually as a club, as a league, as a sport within your within your country, because it's not sustainable what is going on uh, going on elsewhere. I think that that resonates. Not doesn't resonate with the elites, but it resonates with the masses. And we've already seen how if you speak to the masses, you can you can stop change or you can make change happen. If nothing else, we might get another Apple TV documentary out of this. Right, exactly. That's if, really all that matters. If Kate Abdo is available. There we yeah. go. You know, it's a, it's a great content driver here. But do you, do you so 80-team proposal, again, you know, they, they, they're framing it now as it's a meritocracy and, uh, you know, it's not just about rewarding the elites and there's not protection. And, but we know that sounds good. In practice, it, it probably won't, won't be that. But there's different leagues now within this Super League concept. Is that what they're talking about? I guess. Okay. There would be like a Super League 1, Super League 2. I like the original Super League better. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Anything else, Moss? One last thing. Yeah. We were discussing Manchester City and financial fair play in our last pod. And there's a point I, I failed to make. And somebody called me out on it in the comments section on YouTube. And he's right. So I, I do want to make it here. The stated reason for financial fair play was to give clubs a more sustainable financial model. They don't like the idea of a rich owner buying a club, spending all his own money, then losing interest, pulling out. Then the club has these big contracts they have to pay, but they don't generate enough revenue to support that, and they go out of business. That's happened a lot in, across Europe. And since financial fair play was implemented, way fewer clubs have gone bankrupt. So UEFA pointed that as evidence that it actually has been a success. Now, everybody thought another benefit of financial fair play would be reigning in the PSGs and Manchester cities. It hasn't achieved that. So there is a separate conversation to have on that front. But I made it seem like it was all about that when there was this whole other reason for financial fair play, which you could argue actually has been successful. But also within that time, there have been more uh, billionaires, uh, oligarchs, and nation states types of things where you could argue that the chances of them getting bored and going away because they're losing so much money is is diminished right sure okay uh that is it that is it all right let's take a quick break when we come back uh whoa there's a week uh weekend preview because all sorts of stuff that is uh, happening and some stuff that happened this week so don't go there. getting ready to take on spring Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's take a look uh, forward and a little look back here in terms of uh, games that are happening uh, this weekend and games that have happened this week. Where do you want to start here, Mossy? We begin in England this week. We had some FA Cup fourth round replays, oh. including everybody's new favorite club, Wrexham. They crash out of the competition. They lost 3-1 away to Sheffield United. They really have to be kicking themselves because in the original match, they had the lead. They conceded an equalizer yep. virtually the last kick of the game. And then even in this match. It was 1-1 second half. They missed a penalty to take the lead. Um, so Wrexham are out. Are you willing to admit today on this podcast that you took pleasure in this result? That I took pleasure? Yes. The Wrexham thing is 
gotten to you. It irks you that this is being thrown in your face as evidence of how <laughs> things should be and pro-rel and American oh, oh. soccer has it wrong. So you took some pleasure in seeing Wrexham knocked out. Oh, in that sense, yes, because, you know, using Wrexham as a proxy and, and, and you know, propping up Wrexham as a reason why everything is wrong with American soccer or American teams or using it, uh, you know, to make your case of pro-rel and all that kind of BS. In that sense, yes. Um, but I, it doesn't, doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy the story. It doesn't mean that I don't like a Cinderella type of story, which it, that's pushing it a little bit in terms of being uh, a Cinderella. And by the way, if you're really into the whole, um, you know, open tournament cup type of situation, not for nothing, but we have one here in the United States called the U.S. Open Cup, right? The Marhunt Open Cup. So if you really want to get into it, right, despite what the owners of Wrexham will tell you, it, it has existed and continues to exist here in the United States. Um, no, but I don't take, no, I don't like any pleasure. I think they are kicking themselves. But, you know, ultimately, despite the difference on paper of what these teams are relative to their, their lot right now, in terms of the leagues they play, it doesn't mean that they can't give a good game to people that are quote unquote, or teams that are quote unquote better than them, which is exactly what they did. But what separates these teams ultimately is that little bit of quality and or that little bit of lack of quality, which we saw, you know, the, a bad touch in the back, which certainly can happen at the highest level, but it happened here and Next thing you know, you were like, "Oh, this is a, this was a great game. We were playing well." And the next thing you know, the ball's in, in the back uh, in the back of the net. But yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people uh, out there that do take some. I don't know if it's perverse pleasure, but you know, I I, I don't have to care. I don't have to pretend to care about Wrexham anymore, do I? <laughs> well, I, we can tell you one person, Max Bredo, sent a snarky tweet when oh, Wrexham lost. Something about, oh, I feel so sorry for those uh, American Wrexham fans that. Uh... <laughs> no, but you know, it, it did what it was designed to do. The, the machine and the business that is Wrexham, it worked. It's, it's proof of concept for what the ownership is doing and what they wanted to do. And in no way does that mean that I don't feel that it is genuine in terms of the emotion and the passion and what they felt going through this moment, not just the fans, but uh, like I said, the, uh, the owners, that, that's, that's, that's fine. But you know, what's, so what's next? And the fact that you know, ESPN showed it and a lot of people wanted to watch it, what are they watching? Are they actually watching soccer? Or are they just watching a continuation um, or a spinoff of a TV show? Uh, incidentally, my father has started watching Welcome to Wrexham and loves it. There you go. Uh, yeah. um, in the Premier League this upcoming weekend, Arsenal home to Brentford. Manchester City under this cloud now, uh, home to Aston Villa. And as we mentioned, Leeds United will host Manchester United. So those are the big games there. Oh, hold on. Uh, can I just uh, circle back one more time to uh, to Wrexham? Sure. It's not like they're done. They have a real 
exciting moment to be to be looking forward to with promotion. I mean, they're they're sitting there. It's not assured, but they're sitting there at, at the top, so they can focus on that. And so there will be more things to celebrate when it comes to what Wrexham is uh, Wrexham is doing. But I don't think that we'll be talking about them in in the way that we talk about them constantly now until they achieve that promotion. And then there's that uh, that moment. And I do hope that they get promoted. I hope that this works out from a promotion perspective for uh, for the owners and for the fans. Yeah, they're battling for the National League title. Arsenal and City, who I just mentioned, battling for the Premier League title. Okay, that's my segue to get us it's back wonderful. on track. That's wonderful. Yeah. Good, good. All right, so, uh, all right, so Arsenal, you know, everything is lined up for them. I, I, you know, we had talked about this at the World Cup. Remember where we were, we were worried, or we not worried, but there was this concern as to whether the World Cup was going to derail the juggernaut that was Arsenal. That has not happened. Okay, and even in the moments when you thought, "Uh oh, they've given a sliver of hope, and there's a possible, uh, there's a possible problem here," others have not been able to take that opportunity. Whether it's Man City, whether it's Manchester Manchester United, that those gift that they were given, they haven't. And so, um, Arsenal and Brentford. I mean, are you okay with that? Uh, with uh, with calling that a a three point win? Not easy, but three-point win nothing easy in the Premier League that's my nothing friend. easy nothing easy right. uh, and I do wonder to go back to Manchester City if this whole financial fair play controversy will have a galvanizing effect on that squad at least for the remainder of this campaign for who Manchester City you think it's bringing them together it might I don't think they give a crap <laughs> uh, in Germany the best game this weekend Leipzig hosting Union Berlin Meanwhile, Bayern Munich host Eric Winalda's former club, Bochum, and Dortmund are away to Werder Bremen. Dortmund coming off a midweek 2-1 away win over Eric Winalda's former club, Bochum, in the German Cup. Gio Reyna came on in stoppage time, still playing that limited role. Still came on as a substitute, right? Correct. Okay. Well, I mean, he's secured that spot and shown, as I said in the, in the pod earlier this week, that this is where he is right now. And I hope he parlays that into starting for the team. But right now, this is this is who he is. I'm going to go off script here for a second, okay. which is not going to make Sean Sullivan happy. Okay. Eintracht Frankfurt face Cologne. I must confess, prior to the World Cup, I was not that familiar with Randall Kolomuani. We know what he did in that tournament. He scored in the semifinal against Morocco. Almost the hero in the final against Argentina, denied by Emiliano Martinez, greatest save in World Cup history. Um, <laughs> it is, you've spoken, go ahead. Yes, um, but since then, this guy has blown up. He's been incredible. He scored two more goals midweek in the German Cup against Darmstadt. He has, I believe it's 14 goals, 13 assists in all competition this season. He's getting linked to the likes of Bayern Munich and Manchester United. They're talking about a 100 million euro transfer. So France with yet another attacking star to throw into the mix. Rich get richer, my friend. My goodness, what a... What a, what a load of talent they have. Yes, and that's why they need to play in the Gold, in the gold Cup. Yeah. And uh, we segue to French football, the big midweek result. Olympique Marseille, 2-1 winners over PSG in the Coupe de France, round of 16, the huitième de finale, as they call this round. Um, Mbappe did not play. He's injured. Uh, Messi and Neymar did, but did not play well. The PSG goal came courtesy of Sergio Ramos on a set piece, but it was not enough. So Marseille take it, which they're very happy about. That's a fierce rivalry. PSG crash out of this competition, not playing well with that Champions League tie against Bayern right around the corner. Well, they can they can just focus on the on the league, right? 
They're away to Monaco uh, this weekend in Ligue 1, which is not an easy trap game. Trap game. Trap game. Yes. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, uh, Sergio Ramos, uh, does he ever play for uh, Spain again? Uh, he might. Luis no, I know he's, uh, yeah, yeah. he's left the door open and, yeah, he's, and yeah. he said it, he's, he's not retiring or anything like that. But I'm saying, do you think that he will ever be brought back into the fold? I'm going to say no. Yeah. But, yeah. but it was a non-starter with Luis Enrique. Maybe yeah, yeah. that with him departing your favorite manager, Luis Enrique, that <laughs> okay. door might have been open again. Um, in Spain, um, with Real Madrid off playing the Club World Cup. Barcelona have the spotlight all to themselves this weekend. Tough game, though. They're away to Villarreal. They're trying to increase their La Liga lead atop the table. And in Italy, uh, league leaders Napoli host last place Cremonese, so this should be three points. And How dare you. Napoli continuing on their path towards a first Scudetto since 1990. Well, I think both Barcelona and Napoli continuing uh, unless something just ridiculous happens. Like, I don't know, they get dinged for... You know, uh, not doing business correctly, and then they get <laughs> like Man City in trouble, and they lose points. But barring anything like that happening, I think that they're just going to cruise to the titles. Both of these guys. Um, anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break, and we come back. It's time for Ask Alexi. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the uh, social media platforms. By the way, our, uh, our handles out there are SOTU with Alexi, or you call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. What do we have this week, Masi? Uh, a couple of voicemails. Let's hear the first one right now. How's it going, guys? This is Will in Virginia Beach. Just a question for Alexi. If you were a young player today, say perhaps in your early 20s, is there a league abroad that you would love to play in that would best suit your style of play and your skill set? Or perhaps a manager that you would see best developing you into a better player? And I'd love to get Malty's thoughts on this as well. Have a great day, gentlemen. All right. Uh, thank you for the question, Will from uh, Virginia Beach. I've thought about this uh, in the past. Um, for those that uh, you know weren't around or, or didn't know, so back in the 90s, uh, after the World Cup, uh, as I've talked about before, all sorts of opportunities opened up uh, for me, including three opportunities to go and play in Europe. Uh, even though I played in a World Cup, I had never actually been on the books of any club team. So this was going to be my first time signing for a club. Uh, I ultimately decided uh, there was an um, opportunity in the EPL at the time the Bundesliga, and Serie A. Back then, it was very different in terms of Serie A was the place to be. It was all the money. It was all the players. It was all the prestige. It was before you know, the, the Bosman ruling and the opening of the European community and before that migration happened to, to the EPL. So that was the place to be. There was only one place uh, that I was going to go, and, and so I went to, uh, to Italy. I think about you know, the, the type of player that I was and the type of player that I wasn't. I, I, I think it's a pretty easy answer, Will, in that, you know, I want to go where the most attention, where the most popularity, where the most prestige, where the most money 
um, and where the most, I guess, credibility comes from. And that right now is the EPL. It is the most popular league in the world. I'm not saying it's the best because that's subjective. Whatever you think it is, is the best, that's fine. But I think that I would, it's not that if I did it over again, I, I made the right choice then, but today in 2023, if I was coming out and the player that I was and the type of player, you know, that, you know, my ability in the air and my ability uh, on the ground, um, because the game has changed dramatically. And I would love to be given the freedom and to be given the mandate to play in the way that defenders and center backs are given in today's game, playing out of the back, uh, you know, being rigid in terms of playing out of the back and doing those types of things. You know, yes, the physical nature of the game uh, in, uh, in the EPL, the aerial game, all of those things certainly lend itself to a player uh, like myself. And, you know, the lifestyle and the culture and the, the glitz and the glamour and the entertainment aspect of it, I think it would lend itself to the player that I was. It's hard putting yourself in different eras and seeing how, you know, how you would fare. And sometimes it's, it is not fair, F-A-R. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's uh, my answer. What do you think? Well, the guy asked for my opinion. I wonder if he meant my opinion on where you should play or where I would play. No, do do you, and then yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, you can you can if you want. Where where do you think I should play, Moss? Well, you you've seen me play in a couple of Fox pickup game scenarios. Yeah. Um, so for me, it would have to be an attacking player for PSG and Ligue 1 because, as you know, I don't lift a finger defensively. Yes, so. you need work done for you, and then you will provide <laughs> the moments of magic. It has been become very very clear in the uh, the times that I have seen you play. But it is what we pay for, and it is ultimately that that magic can change a game and Mossy can change a game. So yeah, you would need to be surrounded by as much talent as, uh, as possible. So yeah, good, uh, good question there, uh, there from Will. I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, another voicemail. Let's hear it now. Hey, Lexi and Mossy. This is Travis from beautiful New Braunfels, Texas, between San Antonio and Austin. I had a quick question for y'all. One, if you could change one team to another league, who do you think would be the most entertaining? For me, I think Bayern Munich in the Premier League would be awesome. I think that would be super entertaining. But I was curious about if you had this one choice, barring travel and all that, who would you all choose? Also, just wanted to say I started listening to you all every night during the World Cup. I love what you all are doing. I listen to you all every, every podcast you record. Thank y'all. Love y'all. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. All right. Travis. Travis from Texas there. Thank you so much. Uh, there's a lot of y'alls there. Um, but that was that was awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, it means a lot that, uh, that you listened, that you discovered us during the World Cup. I know a lot of people, because of the content that we were cranking out day after day, and I've met a lot of people uh, that kind of came to the State of the Union pod through the World Cup, and we appreciate that you have stuck with us after the uh, the World Cup. All right, so interesting question here. You so you mentioned Bayern to uh, the EPL, and I think that's a pretty logical and interesting and, and completely fair type of uh, type of uh, choice there. And it would immediately put Bayern in a week to week type of competition or level of competition that they don't experience, let's be honest, in, in the Bundesliga. And that would be fun and interesting to see. Uh, 
and and ultimately i think i mean you want teams that are going to make it uh, as travis said interesting and entertaining so your psgs and your your big teams certainly what will be interesting is if if you asked me that question about like an mls team or something like that i would love to see uh, maybe like a and i don't know what the 2023 version of the philadelphia union look like but the 2022 version of the philadelphia union that would be someone that i would like to see in in the epl and how they would ultimately fare because i don't think that the the highest level of talent and creativity and entertainment that exists in major league soccer would necessarily make for the most entertaining type of epl team so i know i'm i'm looking at it on a bunch of different levels here but now those are the types of teams that you would want to see and ultimately what this comes down to like i mentioned is putting teams that for the most part rule the roost and just plow through their leagues on a continual and traditional basis putting them in a league where now instead of having to compete against one or two teams a year relative to everyone else in their league there's four and five and six and seven that they actually have to contend with and what you're really describing here travis <laughs> <laughs> is the original version of the Super League, all right, in trying to create something like that. And so that you want that or that you are even, you know, contemplating this notion, I think it speaks to what the Super League was trying to say, is that people are interested and want to see what would it look like on a week-to-week -week basis if the best teams or more of the best teams we're actually all in the same league. And I think that it's human nature to fantasize about what that would look like. In practice, who knows what it would look like, but it's interesting that you're framing it like this, and really what you're saying is, I wanna see all the best teams actually together playing week after week. Yeah, he took the obvious answer. It would be dropping yep. Bayern into the Premier League. I remember when we used to cover both the UEFA Champions League and the Bundesliga, we used to have this debate every year, just how good is Bayern? Because it's hard to tell because there are years where they're extra good and then years where they're just normal good, but they dominate the Bundesliga either way. So you can't tell until you get into the knockout stages of the Champions League. So yeah, I think that would be fascinating to drop them into and, the And Premier to be League. fair, because you think, okay, well, you know, they don't have any competition in the Bundesliga and yet they still compete when it comes to the Champions League. And the argument is, well, they they can rest players they they can put all of their eggs into a, a different basket and they don't have to fight on multiple fronts the way that other teams other some other teams and usually what we're talking about is the EPL the EPL in terms of parity all right it's not even close to what MLS has manufactured but the EPL relative to other European leagues is the one that has whether it's created or not it's just the reality where there's more and when I say more there's still only a handful but it's more than you know two when it comes one when it comes to uh, uh, the Bundesliga two when it comes to La Liga one or two when it comes to uh, Serie A you're looking at four or five or six that are the elites when it comes to the EPL. Although it must be said, Bayern in a dogfight this season, only one point above Union. We Berlin. always say this, though. We <laughs> always say this. All right. And is it really a dogfight? Eh, we'll see. Guess, you know, <laughs> or is it just, you know, when you're you slow down for your younger brother to kind of let him catch up and then leave him in the dust just to kind of really rub it in their face and you just need a little bit of motivation? Hmm, maybe we'll that's see. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, it's the end of our show. And I'll give you my one for the go. 
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. You know, I'm, I'm, I know we're Mossy. We're so focused on 2026 when it comes to the Men's World Cup, uh, and obviously hosting it here in the U.S. with our friends from the North Canada, our friends from the South, uh, Mexico. But it will, as important and as monumental and as seminal as it may be, it will come and go, and there will be the next World Cup, and we're already kind of thinking ahead as to where and what that is going to look like in 20, uh, 2030. It's interesting, uh, in Las Vegas, I talked to a bunch of people that um, were actually in Qatar for the World Cup. And to hear them talk about what their experience in the World Cup, and I know, look, people have different experiences, but the amount of people that I met, not just in this, uh, in Las Vegas, but over the last few months that said this was great from a pure soccer purist perspective. You know, we've talked about, I met people that went to like 27 games. They were like, yeah, I'm go I've gone to 27 games. I go to multiple games a day and all that. So just from going to a, a soccer game perspective, it was the most incredible thing that a soccer fan could have experienced. But it's come and gone, and I don't think we're ever going to see that type of scenario again. As a matter of fact, it's going completely the opposite direction, even starting in 2026, uh, with multiple countries uh, hosting. And that is not going to change. We've already seen it with Euros and uh, with, other, uh, with other tournaments going forward, and that is going to be, be the norm. So we come to find out that in 2030, there is the possibility of Saudi Arabia uh, teaming up with Greece and Egypt uh, to host a World Cup. And it's, you know, it's straddling multiple regions there. Saudi Arabia obviously comes uh, in with a lot of money, so much so that there's even rumors floating out there that they would pay for the infrastructure that these other countries uh, would need to have done when it comes to stadiums and other types of resources uh, uh, sources out there, which, you know, could be interesting but it couldn't be any further from what we just did in uh, in Qatar. Now, keep in mind, this is also in 20, uh, 2030, the 100 year anniversary anniversary when it comes to Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay uh, and Chile possibly putting together a bid. And another option is Spain, Portugal and Ukraine. Sentimental type of favorite when it comes to Ukraine and, uh, you know, getting them in. So there's going to be a real fight and in the in the best possible sense for who ultimately comes comes out with something like this. Well, if you had your uh, had your way, you're going with the Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay possibility, and maybe even Chile. I mean, yeah, that's the uh, romantic bid because the first ever World Cup in 1930 was in Uruguay. Uruguay defeated Argentina 4-2 in the final, and so there's a sentiment that in the hundred year anniversary it should quote unquote come home. Now, uh, none of these countries have the capability on their own, I think, to host a World Cup. So you have to stack a bunch of them together. It started out just Argentina and Uruguay. It's ballooned to Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Chile. And now I've heard Bolivia might even enter the phrase. So it might be easier to name which South American countries aren't involved in this bid. 
Um, the Iberian one is interesting. It was just Spain and Portugal, and now they've added Ukraine, which um, is it politically incorrect for me to say that that feels a tad cynical to me and being a prisoner of the moment here? Uh, no, it doesn't. No, it's not politically incorrect for you to say say that or not. I mean, there's I think there's a an understanding as to why Ukraine is being involved in this and it's going to no, it's not cynical. It's it's strategic, shall we say, in terms of making it the world's choice. And I, I don't know how that would ultimately work <laughs> if uh, if Ukraine was involved. And who knows, maybe by that time things have been sorted out and Ukraine looks very, very different in, in a positive and good sense going forward. So I don't know. I mean, my, my point for, for, for bringing this up on One for the Road is that the world is changing, times are changing, and we can grumpy old man it uh, all that we want. But this is the new norm when it comes to hosting these tournaments. From a practical perspective, it, and we've talked a lot in this pod about business sense and financial realities of what's going on. So for a lot of these countries and these regions, this makes much more sense to kind of spread the responsibility uh, responsibility out. But from a romantic perspective, it does mean that we are going away. You know, when we talk about World Cups in the past, we always talk about them relative to one country, okay? Mexico 86 and we you know, we talk we you know, we talk US 94. It's always associated with one country. And don't get me wrong, the U.S. could, without a problem, host the World Cup. And we know why, again, strategically with Canada and Mexico, that was, that was done. And U.S. is one of the few countries that can continue if they wanted in the future to be able to do it alone if they wanted. But this partnership and these, you know, these joint and co types of hosting scenarios are going to continue on. We look look no further than what's going to happen this summer with the Women's World Cup with uh, New Zealand and Australia. And I get it. It it makes it makes sense. But going back to the original Saudi bid, if Greece looks at it and says, "Hey, I can be involved in a World Cup and I can bring all of those people here." And also, it's not going to cost me anything because the Saudis, with their money, they're, they're going to make my infrastructure better. And look, Athens has hosted an, Olymp uh, an Olympics, and we understand that they can certainly, certainly do that. You understand why it makes sense to a Greece and Egypt. What I, what, I, what I lament is that sense of not just community, but culture that is often established in a World Cup. That's going to go away, and you're going to have multiple cultures and very different types of experiences had by people that are going to the World Cup. And that shared experience that has been long been such a tradition of the World Cup, that is going to go away. And your experience going to, let's say in 2030, experiencing the World Cup in Greece is going to be very different than in the same World Cup experiencing uh, the game in Saudi Arabia, and that's that's gonna that's gonna be that's gonna take some getting used to, at least for me and and those of us that have that association. But there will be a generation that will grow up where that's that's nothing new. A World Cup is hosted by a bunch of different countries, and you kind of pick and choose where you want where you want to go. If you can get between the countries, that's all fine and well. If not, maybe your experience relative to World Cup is going to be to a specific country as opposed to the entire World Cup. And it may be very, very different than somebody else who goes to that exact same World Cup but goes to a different country and experiences it. Um, all right, so we don't know ultimately where this is, uh, this is going to happen, but 
All of this is going to happen even with all of our focus on 2026. And it's fun because this generation that we talk about from a U.S. perspective that we kind of think of coming to fruition in 2026, there's also a whole other generation. And we talk about winning the Men's World Cup. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in 26. It might be the greatest thing in the world. But it also might just be another step in that step going forward to that moment, to that historic moment that happens. And while it would be, from a Hollywood perspective, incredible to have that wonderful moment be in the United States while hosting the World Cup in 2026, who knows? It might be in 30. And we don't know. Maybe we'll be in Saudi Arabia. Maybe we'll be in Greece or Egypt or Argentina or Uruguay or something like that. But the, uh, the bidding process uh, ultimately will happen and 2030 will, uh, will be named. No matter what, I think it's going to be multiple, uh, multiple countries. And as it looks uh, like right now, there's going to be a lot of different people that are, to your point, pulling it, pull, uh, tugging at heartstrings and strategically having partnerships and connections. Again, there's that word connections that they feel is going to be advantageous to ultimately get this bid. Anything before we go, Masi? Incidentally, I received an email from FIFA today. I'm now on all those distribution lists. Um, 100 days out until the under-20 Men's World Cup, which is in Indonesia, starts in late May. The U.S. is in it. Brazil just qualified. So I'll talk more about that tournament as it gets closer. And, you know, really traditionally looked at as this is the future and maybe even the present when it comes to really, really good players, both from a U.S. perspective and in general, uh, the players that uh, we see star there and then go on to star for their full national team. So that will be fun. All right. We will talk to you again uh, next week. Continue to uh, to subscribe and to review and to download and to do all those different things. Continue to send us those questions, those Ask Alexi questions out there. SOTU with Alexi on all the uh, social media platforms. And do continue as Will and Travis Travis did today to uh, access the uh, the State of the Union podcast hotline, which again is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. We will talk again next week at the State of the Union here. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.